This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We can't hear you, Mike, which is, you I don't know, know what's going on. Are we good? Are you there? Oh, yeah, it's fine. Oh, it's, it's my first time ever doing this. He can hear yeah. you. Sorry, I didn't know that. I couldn't tell. Yeah, sorry. My thing was just a little unplugged there. Anyways, welcome into the Game Day Rewind, the ninth Game Day Rewind. Uh, a victory version of the Game Day Rewind this season as the Cleveland Browns take down the Chicago Bears 20-17 to 17 in a thrilling ball game, a frustrating ball game, and a ball game that gave all of us some heart palpitations. Uh, we're going to dive into it. We're going to talk about all the good. We're going to talk about some of the things that concerned us. Uh, obviously, more injuries for us to talk about. And we're going to get into all that over the next 45 minutes or so. So welcome on in. Thanks for joining us here uh, on this edition of the Game Day Rewind. Uh, with you, I am your host, Michael Keefe. Joining me around the horn, Brad Ward, Jake Burns, Pete Smith. Boys, have you all settled down a little bit? Has everybody, has the heart rate come down a little bit after that uh, near hit on the uh, on the Hail Mary at the end of that game? No, I mean, yeah, I guess, right? I think, <laughs> I think... I think the thing that bothered me was the more the play before the helmet, a couple of plays before there that they let him even get in that position. But yeah, I mean, uh, we've seen that that play go uh, the opposite direction way too many times, right? Darnell Mooney just really needs to just let it sit on his belly. It's a catch, yeah. and he he sort of self drops it. So yeah, I mean, uh, certainly not a game you wanted to see come down to that. But I I think it's exciting to uh, to get that victory right, and 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 and, and certainly push away from some of those longtime games we've seen that are of the history books where we've, we've seen that go the opposite direction. So yeah, that was uh, less excitement, more relief. I would probably phrase it that way. You talk about never didn't have it seven and one at home. How, how could you ever doubt this team? I mean, this is what they do, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, you, I mean, stressful, stressful day. Uh, you know, there was really times in this game I felt like, uh, you know, a lot of the other games that were close this year, I was like, I felt like, uh, you know, they have a chance to do this. I really felt like, it, you know, after they muffed the punt and then Flacco through the interception, I kind of had like this sinking feeling that maybe just today wasn't that day, but they continue to fight and find a way in uh, pretty remarkable fashion. But that's it, and that's you know we've talked a lot about um, uh, the the difference in this team and the culture they're trying to build and the winning culture, and this is where you see it play out. Because Brad, I was sitting on the couch having the same kind of feeling you were uh, when Flacco threw that interception. I was thinking, oh, you know what? Everything just continues to go the other way. And frankly, boys, for a lot of this game, it felt like the Bears had the playbook for the Browns. It felt like the Bears knew exactly what was coming. They knew exactly what the Browns were trying to do. Their defensive backs played a whale of a game. They were jumping routes. They were getting great pressure on Joe Flacco and obviously the decimated offensive line. It really, Brad, I'm with you. It felt like that. Like, uh, you know what? Things are just bouncing the way of, uh, of the Bears in this one. And for the Browns to come back in that fourth quarter and to put up some of the stats that we'll get into, uh, that, that is, that's the sign of a culture change, right? I mean, that's what we've been looking for for so many years 
is a team that can go out and win a game like this just the way the Browns did. I'm genuinely amazed that the Browns outplay their fan base every week. Like, every week, the fan base is like, no, they're done. Done. Yeah. And yet they will play. Uh, And to the point where, like, they're putting Fred off the street in the game and he's making plays. And, and like, they will put guys in that you – people are looking at their program and going, who the hell is this guy? And he makes a play. Like, it's remarkable to watch this team sort of just make stuff happen with guys that – have no business being as effective as they are in key spots. De'Anthony Bell, like you would look at him and you'd go, oh, he's a special teamer and he can't really play defense. And he had, I give credit to Jim Schwartz, like he was put in position to make plays and and do some good stuff. And you're sitting there going, okay, I guess he can make plays. Ronnie Hickman, all right, fair enough. You know, why not Ronnie Hickman? Let's make it happen. And that's um, a credit to what this team is building, that there's, whether it's a, practice squad guy, a rookie, somebody off their couch, that they will just put somebody in and they will play until the echo of the whistle. And, like, that is what it has taken on any number of these games, including this one, where you're just like, no no chance. Uh, and, and they just they just say, no, we're, we're, we're going to win, and that's it. Guys, yeah. uh, the – oh, go ahead, Brad. No, I'm just going to say zero quit, and it's uh, it's amazing, right? Like, it's an amazing feeling. It's an easy team to root for because of that. And we've talked about this before. Uh, and, and it does feel like a culture thing or a buy-in thing from everybody uh, that they put out on the field, and it's fun. And, uh, you know, this uh, comeback was unexpected, and you know, and uh, just an amazing uh, win um all around and and to pete's point with guys that probably you know shouldn't be doing some of the things they're doing out there but guys are stepping up man and that's that's huge you know long term well i'm sure we'll get to stuff long term why injury wise but they got through this one how they had to get through it um but yeah i mean the the safety room uh decimated uh down to bell and hickman they did well i mean the defense the defense played fantastic all day. I mean, the defense was amazing. I don't think that if, if we if we don't throw, if Flacco doesn't throw a couple interceptions, I don't know if they score except for that field goal. So, yeah, no, you're right. The 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 one touchdown drive, one of the great drives of all time for the Bears. Eight plays, like one yard. Yeah, uh, and and it looked like the Browns were going to get a stop there, uh, but Justin Fields made a good play to Cole Komet, uh, and the other score was a pick six. Uh, so really the, the Browns defense all day, and we're going to get into the defense a little bit, uh, but the Browns defense all day just stifled the bears, uh, and, and really kept this game in striking distance so that when the offense was able to get hot in the fourth quarter, like they did, uh, the defense is it gets the credit for playing those three quarters to keep them in it. So, um, Jake nine wins on the season, uh, nine and five, we're, we're all looking at standings at this point. Uh, three games to go at Houston, home against the Jets, at Cincinnati. Uh, just talk about how huge this was for the Browns to get this win. We know they're a game up in that wild card, you know, the top wild card spot. But uh, just talk about the, how big this is for the implications for this team this season. Yeah, if you do like a lot of simulators before and after this game, it, it actually didn't tell you this game mattered that much. It actually only went from like summer sports had them at, like 84% if they lost and went down to 79% and if they won, it's up near 92%. So it's not 
for as far as winning a singular game, it wasn't that huge of a swing, obviously, because it's an NFC game. Right. However, if you look at some of the teams that matter the rest of the way, Colts, Texans, Bengals, and Bills, they play really favorable schedules. Even the Broncos, favorable schedules the rest of the way. So obviously the goal that I think we've all been sort of echoing is get to 10 wins. That's when you have a real chance. But if you do the simulator stuff and look at 10 wins, especially if the Bengals are able to go into Kansas City and get a win, you never know. That Kansas City team, not as formidable as your mind will tell you, they uh, run into some scenarios at 10 wins that do not allow them to get in. So they really, these next three, like getting this one um, is going to be huge. If they can get to 11, then they really control their own destiny. And I got to tell you guys, this game, like winning this, and if the, if the Ravens happen to lose tonight and then the Ravens play, um, the, do they play the Bills in a couple weeks? I think they Bill, do play Bills the Bills. Dolphins. Yeah, they play some real games. So, like, the division (laughs) is very much in play. Now, the the Texans won a game that was really gritty as well today over the the, uh, Oilers slash Titans um, that that gives them a chance to keep a lot of their dreams alive. They'll be very geared up to play the Browns. But I'm just saying, like, my general thing about where this is right now is is there's a lot of simulator stuff that we can get into. There's a lot of, like, like talking about their limitations we can get into. And I'm kind of trying to to, to piggyback off of what you guys – are talking about here, which is like way back, Brad, I don't know, man, like seven, eight weeks ago. It's like, we're talking about this is a week to week team. I think we really have to try to stop making sense of it and just enjoy it. Cause Pete, you're talking about like Ronnie Hickman and DeAnthony bell and these guys, like it doesn't make a ton of sense why they're nine and five, because they've had every reason in the world to pack it in. And today is a microcosm of that. In my opinion, they're down 17, seven, Everything feels condensed. The linebackers are jumping every intermediate throw they're trying to make. The corners are giving them fits on the outside, (laughs) and they just figure out a couple touchdown drives. They figure out a couple home run balls. They figure out what they're doing, and they do just enough offensively to win. And it's like instead of trying to put, you know, when's it going to come to an end feelings in place, I think we should really be driving into this enjoy it. There have been more talented Browns teams that couldn't do what this team is doing. But that's yes. the way the NFL goes at times where, you know, you just you just figure out ways to win games. I think we've talked about how these young guys are now becoming veterans. You want to see like I know we've been a little bit on this, I think, at the OBR about David's development and Joku's development as a mm. as a as a leader. Like, look at how some of these young guys have formulated into leadership roles that we've seen. Doesn't feel like that long ago David and Joku was drafted or Miles was drafted, but these are five, six year veterans, right? These are leaders. Denzel's a leader, and like the way the league looks at them and the way David is is really stepped into that role. And eventually the tide shifts because you've got enough of these guys who can who can will you to victory and that you can just drag them along. And I think they're in the midst of that. And what I just kind of want to do is don't worry about anything past the Texans game or tonight worrying about like how talking about how your Cleveland Browns have won nine football games and just really enjoying, like really enjoying the, the, the vibe of this team is giving off. Because again, I'm, I'm taking what you guys are saying with the copyright uh, plagiarism stuff's the best way to go on some of these shows. Like they're doing things that don't make sense. And it's one of the most likable uh, against all odds. I think even from the national perspective, it's it's one of the most likable teams uh, in the league this year, and I think that that's really dang cool. And you guys as fans, I hope you're enjoying that instead of kind of like looking for the doomsday moment in the schedule or how far they can go. And I've been guilty of this 
and just enjoying that they're nine and five and like, hey man, like let like look at how they can beat Houston or like they can do anything. They can they're showing you they can do anything. They put a game on on calendar, uh, the Dallas game, right? Uh, Dallas Buffalo today. Dallas just gets their doors blown off. A ten and three Dallas team. The Browns really only had one of those, and that's because they lost a quarterback minutes before it started. Other than that, they've been in every ball game, every ball game through uh, large portions of it, right? So, uh, I just, I, I, I guess I'm perpetually amazed at what they're doing. A little bit long there, but they're just amazed, and I hope that we're enjoying it instead of trying to pick apart where it could fall apart or when the injuries are too much. They don't know when the injuries are too much. You know, there's not like a magical number here where you get to 13 guys on IR and then the season's over. No, they don't know that. They don't believe in that. They're just out there playing and the guys stepping in are believing they can do it too. So really damn cool, man. Probably the most enjoyable football team we've had since they've come back in 99, to be honest. Like just enjoyable uh, group of guys from top to bottom, right? The 2020 team was better, but just top to bottom, this team is fighting hard and that's awesome, right? That's really cool to see. Well, and, and Pete, Brad, you know, Jake talked about uh, the, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're playing in a way that you're not, you know, they've had better teams that have had worse records, and sometimes that's how the NFL goes. But, guys, do you have any insight or, or, or any opinions on the fact that, you know, maybe this is coming from uh, just a shift in the attitude of this team, a shift in the focus of this team, a shift in the coaching of this team? You know, it, it's one thing to talk about the way the ball bounces in the NFL and all that stuff, but – uh, is this also something coming from above that that you guys can see, that you guys can spot, that you guys can give credit to as well, whether it's the coaching, the the front office, whatever, uh, that that's forcing this team to be probably the hardest-fighting Browns team we've seen in a long time? I would just say that I don't think there's one thing that you can specifically point out, but I do think that when you look at NFL seasons, right, each one is its own entity, and – each team is a different iteration of that. And we've talked about that a lot, right? Like that's why you can't carry often momentum from one season into another and et cetera. Right. But you have this iteration of this team and this group of guys that, you know, went to the green briar. And then you have this coaching staff that brought in Schwartz at the right time. And it just feels like kind of a blend of everything. Uh, the right group of guys, a mix of veteran and young guys, uh, with the right coaching staff, the right buy-in, all at the right time, uh, and sometimes you get that mix, and that this is what you get uh, is a team that comes together and plays for each other and doesn't quit and has relentless fight, and and that's why you get a, a really good season from a team that sometimes maybe uh, has all odd stacks against against them, but they keep overcoming them, and that's really special. But I think it's just that is. Um, yeah, there's probably a lot of people that deserve credit in that, right? Um, but I think more than anything, it's a collection of certain things that just kind of happen at the right time. That's kind of how I feel about it. There, there are a number of things in play that are working out for the Browns. One, and the players have been talking about this for the last – for a good part of the season. Uh, being empowered by the coach has been huge for them. Um, you've listened to Amari Cooper talk about how, hey, I can subject plays and they'll listen. And like – that's a powerful feeling because one, it's very easy for any receiver to go, Hey, I'm open. I'm always open. I'm always open. Give me the ball. You hear Jamar Chase say this all the time. It's a different deal when a guy has to come and suggest a play because now you have, it's on you at that point. And they've put that, uh, they've talked about that. Miles Garrett talked about that this past week, talking about player empowerment or like, 
the the things that people don't hear about, like going, oh, Kevin Stefanski doesn't do anything with defense, except he's talking about how Kevin Stefanski goes and asks the defense, what what are you guys doing that you like that's working? And they keep doing it. That's a big, big part of it. Um, because now that the players own more of this, it's easier for them to, one, feel like it's theirs, which is huge in any – I don't care what you do uh, for work or whatever. If you feel like it's yours, you're going to put more into it. Um, it's also making it so young players feel like they have to step up. Um, these guys care about each other. And that's, you know, I, I've tried to, you know, I, I wrote a long time ago why I thought Stefanski should get the the extension he he richly deserves. He's been building this for a while of trying to get guys to do this. Even when he came in in 2020, you know, during the, dur- during the COVID stuff, like they had all those player meetings and like trying to get these guys all on the same page. And it's not easy to do that. It doesn't happen overnight. It is taking years. And Browns coaches don't get years. So now you're finally getting to see a team take its coaching and, like, become that extension of that. So what do you hear all the time now? Everybody's saying, we just got to figure out a way to go 1-0. That's Kevin Stefanski every week. They are now echoing that message. And, like, Joel Batonio several weeks ago was like, that makes it so much easier. Because we're not sitting there looking, oh, my God, all these guys are hurt. How are we going to do this? They're going, all I got to worry about is what do I got to do this week? And it works like it's working for them. And there's things you can do that. Now, if you're asking me what separated the Browns game and what do I point to that, that why they won this game, the Browns were the smarter football team when it mattered the most. Um, if you look at like that Amari Cooper completion, they looked that the, the Bears defense looked like the Browns defense, any number of years you can pick out. Everybody's eyes are in the backfield. They ha- they're sitting there going, oh, the play's over, or it's going to take care of itself. The Browns keep playing. And there's a lot of examples of this. And I ex- expect when Jake does his, his film breakdown, you're going to see stuff you're going, that's just really smart football. Like David Ajoku the past two weeks has been playing extremely smart football. The, the scramble drill stuff they did last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars um, carried over into this one on the first touchdown. That was not a drawn-up play. That was just two guys figuring it out on the fly reading each other and making the right play. The 34-yard reception, that was a simple drag route. Najoku just ran to space and Flacco threw to an area that was open. That was just good, smart football. And then the other stuff that, you know, reminds you of Brown's team's past, nobody could catch a ball from Justin Fields. I don't care what team they were on. Nobody could catch it. And that cost them certainly, but, like, this was a game where the Browns – I thought the Browns defense was going to play well um, for reasons that Justin Fields is a – Awful matchup for what Jim Schwartz wants to do. He's going to speed you up. That's that's the worst thing you could do with Justin Fields because he's going to throw the ball around to wherever and see what happens, which is what you saw. Now, they dropped multiple interceptions and everything else, but like mm-hmm. you just saw a smarter football team. And in the end, they were just sort of patient enough, and they've done this a couple times. But they are doing things we have not seen them do in past years, and even some of these uh, other guys are starting to figure it out. But like – you know, it's the difference between David Njoku and Amari Cooper and Joe Flacco to a certain extent versus Cedric Tillman, who's a rookie who just doesn't know enough at this point. And the Bears are full of a lot of Cedric Tillmans where the Browns have guys that have now figured this thing out. They've been in the offense a while, save for Flacco. And it's paying off in huge dividends. They've become this team that can do this. Yeah, boys, real quick, uh, I want to get into some more specifics on this one, but I also, uh, we're going to take a quick uh, a quick little timeout mid-show here to talk about uh, one of our newest sponsors, and you may notice uh, some good-looking hats on Jake and Brad and I. 
Uh, and uh, Pete, you look great too, but you just don't have the hat. It's fine. Uh, and that's because we have got, we got a great sponsor. He's one of our good friends and we would just want to talk him up for a minute. Uh, he's one of our regulars here on the OBR streams. It's our very own OG Philly. You know him as OG Philly, Philly ASC. Scott Fillinger, man, has generally agreed to come on and generously agreed to come on and sponsor this program. He and doesn't a couple sponsor of other Mike's programs. microphone, though. That's what he doesn't sponsor. Just What's going on now? What's know, going just, on? Nothing. Just wanted to make that clear. Okay. All right. All right. Did something happen? Did something happen? <laughs> I'm trying to talk about Philly. <laughs> and I only got so much in me that can talk positively about Philly before I have to get into, like, the way I usually talk about Philly. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Listen, we welcome Philly in as an, an official sponsor of the OBR Post Game Show here, uh, and we look forward to giving him positive shout-outs as much as, as much as I could, uh, as much as possible. Philly works with everybody from Fortune 500 companies to small businesses like the OBR and creating products that reflect their branding like the stuff we are wearing on the stream right here. So if you've got a business, a nonprofit, a personal need for high-quality merchandise, and you want to give that business to a fellow Browns fan, reach out to Philly. He'll take care of you. You guys know. You guys know how to get in touch with Philly. Make sure you reach out to him uh, because you could have awesome stuff that looks like this as well. So shout out to Philly. All right, boys. Let's get into some specifics on this game. Um, and let's go over to the offense because uh, for three quarters, uh, what we have heard ever since the Bears pulled in Montez Sweat was how much better this Bears defense has been. And they were really good, especially the first three quarters. They were all over Joe Flacco. Again, a lot of that has to do with the Browns aren't just on backup uh, offensive linemen at this point. They're on backups, backups, offensive linemen at this point. Uh, and they got banged up even more so in this game, losing Joel Batonio. Uh, but, man, Montez Sweat, the, the Chicago Bears applied pressure early. Uh, the Browns could not run the ball. They could not run the ball at all for any reason uh, in this game today uh, and really – it was ugly for the Browns. They really struggled to move the ball, to get anything going, uh, and to keep any drives moving, uh, and then a flip switch. So just talk about the Browns' offense through the first three quarters of the game. Uh, I know we had a question. I'll, I'll see if I can go find it and pull it back up. But, uh, you know, is there anything these guys can do to run the ball more effectively when you've got the guys out there that you've got out there? Or uh, are the Browns going to have to figure out ways to be even better and more efficient in the passing game? Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Walter asked a good question about there about uh, Joe's interceptions. I'll, I'll write those up. Two two of which I believe were his uh, his fault. Well, the first one was uh, was in my opinion based on what I can see from the TV view, not his fault. But we'll see what the player said, and then we'll we'll try to break that down, Walter. But 
there's some miscommunication stuff that happened there. But yeah, anyway, uh, the run stuff, I, I don't know, man. Um, well, actually, Walter, I'll answer your question right now. So, um, <laughs> the, you know, first of all, yo, thanks, man. Like that, that is a really generous yeah. uh, amount of money to throw. Thanks, away. Walter. So wow. We, we shout out to you, Walter. That. Uh, the, okay, so the first one is a concept called Why Juke uh, Haas is the concept. Okay, so it's a hitch route outside, and you get a vertical route up the seam. And typically, you get this on both sides, and then you get a tight end with a little settle option route. They call it a very popular variation called Haas Why Juke. And uh, what happens is you get the seam route if it's a, if it's what's called middle of the field closed, which is a single high safety. Uh, usually correlated between cover three or man-to-man cover one coverages Uh, up the seam. If it's open up the seam, meaning nobody's there, uh, you're to continue to carry that because the quarterback can manipulate that defender, that single high defender and throw off of him. And um, in this uh, specific play, I think it was Eddie Jackson. They were in middle of the field, open coverage, which is usually again, correlated to cover two, cover four. There's some other little wrinkles, but um when you have a cap safety and you're the guy running the what's called the vertical route, you convert it to what's called a bender, which is when you get past the second level, that hook defender, you kind of bend it right behind him and in front of the safety. It's pretty apparent to me that Joe wanted him to bend it because the safety's capping the route and it would have been a chance for a nice completion. Would it have happened? I don't know. Need to see the all 22 of it, but it's pretty obvious to me based on Kevin's reaction, which was ticked off uh, on the sideline. And then the general concept as I've come to know it, that it is uh, a mistake by the young wide receiver. The second interception, there is a spacing concept, horizontal spacing routes going on to stretch the defense. Um, Joe is dropping back, trying to find the settle route over the middle of the field. There's a middle of the field settle, and then there's two arrow routes, or what we call them, which are 45 degrees sort of stop hitches. And um, on the left side, so Joe's looking down the middle. He has, um, I always get the Edmonds brother screwed up. Is this this just Tremaine, right? Tremaine Edmonds yeah. is uh, the, the, the middle hook, the three-receiver hook side. So he opens – and then is crashing down to to uh, to Tillman's route, which is called a, is just called we we called it a settle right over the quarterback's eyes at five yards. He sees Joe sees him crashing and is trying to throw him away from that backer. But what happens is um, the guy I think it's T.J. Edwards who is covering Amari's arrow route is is reading Joe's eyes and breaks on it well before Joe throws it. So Joe is leading him away from the middle linebacker. And as he's leading him away from the mic, it, the will does a great job, TJ Edwards, of beating him to the spot and knocking that football loose. And it's, so on like real time, you're like, that looks like Tillman's fault. Well, it's not really Tillman's fault. It's Joe's fault. But it's actually Joe just not seeing a great play from that linebacker. If you actually go back and watch it, you'll see that Amari Cooper is standing there with nobody covering him. So that's where you have to maybe – Joe's going to probably – you know, he's seen a lot of ball on his years. He's going to go back and be like, I can't stare these things down. The last one was a nice play off of play action. Uh, actually believe it was run action. So everybody was selling the run. So you get a motion out of the backfield from Harrison Bryant to create a couple vertical stretches on the left side against cover three. Um, with cover three, if you get a, a capped or an inline tight end, you'll see a lot of corners. If you get a vertical from number one, which Harrison Bryant became the number one, you'll see them overlap to try to help the single high safety. So what that means is he's, if he gets a vertical from one and a vertical from two, which is David, who's in three-point stance, they'll overlap it. They'll play a little in between to be able to, if if, uh, if the quarterback looks them off and comes back to give that safety a chance, you can take over that route and kind of jump it. I'll give Tyreek Stevenson some credit. He did a nice job. 
uh, when Joe turned his back and then tried to throw it, he didn't, I don't know if something was at his feet, but he did not step into that throw and he didn't put it up the field a little bit. And I can't leave it inside single high safety is going to jump that, but he didn't drive it and he didn't put it up field. He left it behind and away on the back hip and that let Stevenson come undercut it. So I hope that Walter answers your question. I have two of those being on Joe. I have one of them of those two that are on Joe, just kind of being a really nice defensive play. Uh, and then I have the first one being on Tillman. I was going to say, ask you too. Uh, it's pretty much as simple as, as him just crossing that safety's face on the first one, right? And if the ball yeah. is there and times so the, up the, rightly, then as far then as I know, Pete, you, you know, you're coaching up your guys too, your quarterbacks. Like we always taught them if they're running the bender, because you know it and the guy know, like if I get a mofo look, middle of the field open, I know I got benders. Now, if I he, if I see a roll, it obviously cancels it out, right? If you get two open pre-high and one rolls down, one rolls to middle, cover three, or there's different variations, but generally it's cover three, then I know that those guys are converting vertical. If they don't, and at that case, I believe I have to watch the all 22 to be 100%. It looks like Eddie Jackson sits on the hash pre-snap and he sits there the whole time. So yeah. once he clears that backer, you're throwing that with anticipation and trying to put it on that backer's shoulder to kind of lead him back into that window once those hips get flipped to get a, you know, because usually what those backers are trying to do is redirect number two. They want to redirect them and not let them run free up the hash. So once that linebacker tries to redirect or get hands on, you're replacing him with the throw, bending it back into the middle of the field to try to get a chance. A very popular four verts conversion, four vertical routes conversion, but Haas uses the same principles. So they're not giving you two seam routes that are just covered up into two high safeties. It certainly seemed like they ran the same concept against the Rams. And yes. they were successful. Like it was yes, right yeah. on the money, hit it. And that's sort of the problem. One, it's why coaches, some coaches hate read routes because you get receivers who come back the uh, sideline and go, well, I thought I saw, and they got the other team as the ball. But the other part of that is just Flacco is so ingrained to just go with what he thinks he sees and he, he will just throw it. You saw that with the slant last week where he's just, he's firing it. Uh, you saw it with a couple of the throws this week where what he sees, he 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 seems to think whatever he sees, the receiver will guaranteed see, which in some ways is what you want. You saw mm -hmm. this with the miscommunication with Amari Cooper late, uh, late in the game too, where he's just like, Amari Cooper's supposed to be right here. Uh, should be running that should be running that sort of post slant action and Mar sold it a little bit long. And Flacco's like, I see this, I'm throwing it. And the other part of that is obviously the stress of the line of scrimmage. The Bears dominated the line of scrimmage in this game. And Jaron Christian can't play dead. I mean, that's no. that's a huge problem right now. Uh, James Hudson III can't pass block to save his life. You were down to, I think, offensive lineman 12 when Luke Whipler came into the game. Yeah. Um, so, Is look, bad? it's tough to run the ball when you're down that many guys. And then you credit to the Bears. They have gotten a lot better up front, particularly when they have Montez Sweat, who's, who's a problem. But they're they're stout up front. Andrew Billings worked over Nick Harris for a good part of the good part of the game, especially early. So that's going to be difficult. And, you know, it, can it get better? Maybe. I mean, when they blocked well, Jerome Ford will hit it. I mean, in some ways, I, I, I very frustrated for Jerome Ford. He seems very he seems to have gotten so much better over the course of the season. And just some of the run blocking is just like there's just nothing for him hanging him out to dry. It's weird injuries like, look, given what. Joel Batoni was dealing with, with his knee. I'm not terribly surprised that now it has sort of like 
become a back issue. You know, you overcompensate to a certain point. He's been playing so long that it happens. I, I suspect we'll see what, what they say. I suspect he will be fine. Um, Ethan Posick having a stinger that lasts this long is just weird. It ha- Again, these things happen, but it's strange. But given what the Browns do effectively to hide their tackle play, uh, they need those guys inside because they just don't have enough ass inside <laughs> to move guys off the ball with what, with what they've got. So it's a tough spot for them to be in. They're trying to do some stuff to help. And then last but not least, they're not getting much out of their tight ends and blocking. David Njoku has been, you know, he's a superstar in this game as a receiver. He's been pretty disappointing this year as a run blocker. In years past, he's been like exceptional. Um, you know, right off the bat, they they tried to, to run the ball to the right. Njoku's expecting double team help with, with, with Harrison Bryant. Njoku immediately gets driven to the backfield. Harrison leaves too early. And the and the and the play's blown up in the backfield. Like that if you can't block with your initial five and then you're not able to win with seven, you're just not going to run the ball effectively with over the course of this a game or whatever. It's kind of um, it, where I got get back to, you know, at this point, it's not like you're bringing any personnel in at this point uh, to change anything. You know, we're here. We They are kind of who they are at this point. Uh, you know, offensively, I hate to say it, but you almost have to live and die with what Flacco is going to provide offensively. And, and that if that means he's going to turn it over and it's going to cost you, you're also going to have to help, you know, ask him to bail you out like he did today with a couple incredible throws down the stretch and some great play from Njoku and Cooper. And I mean, the throw to Cooper is wild, right? Like he throws it between three, three bears and he just kind of cuts in between all of them and grabs it and cuts it up the sideline. I mean, the same reasons that feels like the same kind of throw that, you know, Pete, you were just talking about where he's just going to throw it. If he sees it, that feels like a similar throw to that, but that one gets completed. You know what I mean? So, uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I just feels like the run game isn't part of the ingredients of this team going forward. I mean, they're going to continue to try and they're going to continue to try to keep teams honest with it. But like, unless you face a team that is just, uh, completely decimated in their front seven. Yeah. I just don't see them running the ball a ton against a lot of teams the rest of the way. You got two tackles who, I mean, Hudson's a little better than Christian, but I mean, it just takes one side of that being screwed up. But you also have a guy, you know, I think Nick Harris is a fighter, but anytime Andrew Billings is lined up over him, it's just a, it's a physical mismatch. It's just yeah. not going to work out that often. And he was blowing up a lot of what, and I hate that Andrew, Andrew Billings deserves credit since he left Cleveland and he got back into a little bit of shape. Like he's, he's got another contract from the bears. They like him and he's playing well. So um, yeah, I mean, they're dealing with, I think it's something we're not used to Brown's synonymous with O-line run game, Nick Chubb. We all get that idea in our head, but they're not that they're, they're, they're dealing with two mistake prone tackles, uh, a, a left guard who's beat up at, at best, a center who's a bit undersized can fight, but he's a bit undersized. And then you have a right guard who's, um, you know, can, can, I think Wyatt's talented and he's, he's been out there and he's been playing and just deserves credit, but he's not perfect. So, uh, I, I just, it like, I don't, people want an answer for the run stuff. And I don't think there's a great one to give them. They, they're, they're just struggling to figure and they have to map it out because they can't live this way, but I don't think you're going to see any more 150 to 200 yard rushing games from them. 
the rest of the way. Like they're just not going to be able to pull that stuff off. But there's a medium between running for 30 yards between your three backs and running for 150. They have to find some levels of success. And I thought early in the game they did at certain times. They had some runs that went for five, six, seven yards. But as the game wore on, uh, it became pretty evident that Kevin didn't trust it. And he knew he knows at least trying to fight it um, that they can't go backward on, on these situations. And it's especially frustrating when you get into second and twos, second and ones, and you're going backward and you're into third and twos, third and threes. They found their way into too many of those today uh, where they're trying to either take a shot or they're trying to pick up that quick first down and then they can't come back on third down and two and run it like they've been accustomed to doing. So, mm-hmm. um, and I do think that, you know, they could use a little bit more hard count. They could use a little bit more fluctuation with that from Joe. That's something he could get a little better at to keep teams off balance because I thought the Bears had a, a good feel for what they were trying to run and, and B, when to get off the football. But I'm just, you know, we're all kind of, we're searching. I don't have the answer. They tried to laterally run it to do, to do their pin pull stuff they like to do. And they, I even saw them run inside zone because I think they're searching right now to figure out what to do. So that's, if you're talking about one of the bigger offense subplots the last three weeks, it's how can they figure out to have some level of run game efficiency? Because, um, you know, Joe is like Pete said at the beginning, he's Joe, he's going to have a couple, two or three throws a game that are like, that could have been intercepted. And today those were intercepted, but he still can sling it a little bit. So you're not like, you know, you can put some on his shoulders here, but they can't continue to have him 40 burger throw attempts. Um, they need to find a way to be better if they can. I, I, I mean, I think they want that. I don't think if you talk to Kevin after these games, he's like, yeah, I love throwing Joe 40 times a game. They're trying. They're searching. They can't find it right now. Boys, uh, now let's get into the fourth quarter. Before we do that, though, I do want to call back uh, something that happened in the chat uh, earlier. Uh, we had some gifted subs that got sent out, and I, I want to just make sure we call those guys out. Pat Shea with 10 gifted subs. And then Matt J. Darcy followed up with five more. Uh, huge shout-out to you guys. Thank you for jumping in, gifting some subs, making sure people keep coming back here to the OBR for their Browns coverage. And thank you so much for the support. So shout-out to those two guys who did that. Uh, and then we get into the fourth quarter. Again, so many questions through the first three. The offense struggled. The run game didn't exist. Uh, and, and the Browns put up seven points through three quarters. And then all of a sudden, here comes the fourth quarter. And when all was said and done, Joe Flacco goes up over 300 yards with a couple touchdowns again. Uh, For the first time since 2012, the Cleveland Browns have two receivers go over 100 yards in a game. For the first time since Josh Gordon and Jordan Cameron did it, Uh, it was Cooper and Njoku both go over 100 yards. You saw the big catch from Goodwin uh, deep down the field. Uh, Cedric Tillman got involved. Uh, but really, once the fourth quarter hits, it was Flacco, it was Cooper, it was Najoku, and those guys were running the show. Uh, the flip switched, boys, and when Flacco was comfortable throwing to those guys, they were making plays. It's just, it's pretty awesome to see when the, when things switch for this team, you've got a couple guys out there that can make not just a good play here or there, but David Njoku's turned into a guy that can can help carry a team to a win. Amari Cooper is a guy that can help carry a team to a win. And when Joe Flacco's on and throwing him the ball the way he was, that throw, boys, on third and 15, as Flacco's getting hit off his back foot, as he just sees Najoku towards the end and just floats it out to him for that huge 30-plus yard pickup, uh, what they did in the fourth quarter was spectacular. It was spectacular. Um, I just real quickly want to just say one thing about this in that 
for a long time we've talked about David and Joku and what his ceiling looks like and what you know uh, his payday is he living up to his contract and, and you know his numbers and this and that Joe Flacco's emergence or his uh, you know uh, entrance into this offense and what we've seen the last two weeks is certainly I think given us a glimpse into what ceiling David Njoku looks like uh, last week eight targets six for 91 and two touchdowns this week another amazing touchdown catch 14 targets 10 catches and goes over 100 yards. So I think we're seeing kind of what, uh, you know, peak Njoku uh, can really look like. Yeah, and also helps their throwing at 40 times a game. So guys are going to get some some opportunity, right? So, um, you know, we I think we, we've hit on David uh, pretty well. I, I, I certainly like uh, the aspects of what we're, we're talking about here. But, I, Mike, what was your original question? Is it just David? Is that it? It's, it's no. David, it's the Cooper, offense. it's Flacco. It's just the way the offense responded yeah. in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they, they found some downfield shots. I need to rewatch the Goodwin throw. I don't know if that would – do you guys remember? I think it was a gun play action throw. I could be wrong, though. Uh, it's all moved pretty quickly after the game. But they found some wrinkles off, off of action, run action. Even though they couldn't run it, you can still use the effects of getting a team to be yeah. you know, hungry to stop it. And this is two straight weeks that I will give them credit for that. They did this against the Jags where they killed them in play action. And I can probably look up this information as we sit here, but uh, I think they really hurt them. Their big chunk throws came off of play action as well. So, you know, the old science out there that telling you, you don't need to run it well to have play action is holding pretty true for the Browns. But I, I feel like they've been able to uh, and you, you know, you want to give them credit. Uh, I'm trying to find it here real quick. The, the Browns were eight of 12 for 193, a touchdown and an interception. And the interception, as we talked about a bit, a bit a while ago, should have been a touchdown up the seam there as well to Njoku. So they were really good uh, in, in play action. Uh, so uh, you're, you're, you're again talking about Goodwin had one catch 57 play action. Amari Cooper, one catch 51 play action. Tillman, two for 32. And Joku won for 31. So they were really, really humming with that. So again, like the credit where it should be given, right? If you identify through three quarters what they're trying to tie their coverage to their fronts, and the Browns picked apart things they thought they could do route concept wise, and they found those fourth quarter answers because I believe Joe threw for over 200 in the fourth quarter alone. Um, so, so again, we want the opening script, we want the points now, 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 but. They, they figure it out. They figured it out in the fourth quarter with some some shot plays that could really uh, put them put them in the game. And uh, I, they deserve, I think, a ton of credit for that, guys. So so I was impressed by that. I was impressed, uh, you know, as, as, as David gets more targets, he seems more comfortable than ever. Uh, I hope that continues uh, because he can he can clearly produce and he's, he's feeling good about himself. But I thought Amari was special again. He had a couple balls maybe he, he wants back that he should have caught. But like, again, a uh, four catches 109 and staying in bounds up the right sideline and, and and he gets a lot of tilted coverage. And I know Tillman's a far from perfect product, but when he does find a way to reel it in, he's really strong and he's not easy to bring down. And you can see why they like that, uh, like that part of his game. So encouraged. I was a little bummed. Some of the screen stuff didn't pan out. They had that, that first screen they threw for 25, 30 yards to Pierre strong. They got called back on a little bit of a phantom holding oh. call, but whatever. Um, so that was a well done one. Then I thought they had, I don't know if you guys thought it as much as I did. They caught a lazy defensive tackle at the wrong time. They threw that middle screen in the final drive and everything yes. was perfect for it. He's and that DT right was just standing there, just didn't chase like he should have. He's kind of being lazy. So 
I thought the screen stuff was kind of well timed out and it had a chance to be pretty good. But uh, yeah, I give I always give coaches credit if you can throw for 200 yards in the fourth quarter, tie your play action to it. That's some schemed up stuff, man. And that's the goods. That's that's what you should want your offense to do is come up with solutions late. So the, the Bears didn't have any because you saw that. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of Cedric Tillman. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, he's just massive. He's just a yeah. huge body in the middle of the field. Uh, Marquise Goodwin had the big play on the 57 yards or whatever it was. He had a huge play in setting up the Najoku up to the right sideline. They ran like a clear concept. Yep. Marquise Goodwin is just out there in in space, just flying up the field. He takes two DBs out the way. There's no other guy to widen out with Najoku, so he's just wide open to the flat. Uh, that was a huge contribution to Jake's point about play action. If you, you you probably watched the Jags game and were probably sitting there going, why aren't they still running this in the second half? The Jags adjusted. They kept blitzing weak side, that weak side, backside endlessly. And what Jake's talking about with, with what they did with the play action stuff in this one with the run action is they came up with an answer for it. They kept pulling Teller out or the left guard, depending on the situation. You saw Dunn do it a couple of times. So now he was an extra body to go seal sweat on a couple of those. What did that do? That gave Joe the ability to step up in the pocket and deliver some of those passes where last week they kept running play action, play action, play action. Then that one Flacco turns around, he suddenly got a guy in his face, and you're like, oh, crap, we can't do this anymore. So you talk about coaching and what do you see and what were adjustments. That was a huge adjustment to their them being able to then find an answer for sweat in that situation. Uh, that was one of the big uh, sort of storylines I wanted to see in the game was how do the Browns coaching staff deal with sweat because the right tackle, I don't know if he touched him in the game, but <laughs> he was there. Um, but they kept, they kept throwing different things out there. And then that allowed the big play to, to good one that allowed some of these other plays to develop, but just finding ways your play action in addition to all the things you wanted to do, you wanted to freeze those second level defenders. You wanted to create space in certain ways, but it's also an easy way to diversify your blocking scheme and pass protection to solve some of the questions you have. You weren't really worried about some of these other spots. Like Andrew Billings probably wasn't getting a sack, but Montez Sweat definitely was if you didn't come up with an answer for it. Yeah. I'm looking at this, uh, this action here, which is at this point in the season, when you are, you know, 15 weeks deep, 14 games in, teams know who you are. And they ran, um, the Browns like to run gun draw, as we know, and they sort of tied the backfield action to a, to a draw. So and, uh, Flacco just extends the football to his left. To your point, Pete, they bring the backside guard, kick him around to sell this, uh, to sell what they love to run, uh, which is a, you know, a power concept from the gun. And uh, Flacco twirls around like he's selling, like he's running boot. That creates a pretty wide pocket because Montez Sweat has to extend to keep him in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Step up, and you catch the you catch the right coverage. They're playing two man. You catch them at the right time. They're late to rotate deep on Brisker's side to the boundary, and it's a fifty-seven yard throw. But the thing that stands out to me again at this point in the year, when you, you you're beyond self scouting, like that happens mid year and you'd love to happen at your bye week but the Browns had a ridiculous bye week Yeah. You know, you're self scouting as much as you can. You're trying to really just, you, you know, your identity is your identity and you're doing a lot of things, but how can we throw wrinkles, confusion wrinkles at these teams to create some advantages? And I thought they did a really good job on this play. Looking at it, obviously we'll spend time on chalk talk 
looking at it and breaking it down a bit more uh, with you know the visual aid helps. But it was a different concept to what they normally run boot stuff with or their play action stuff with, even in the gun. They like to just usually cross, have the, the running back cross your face. This was a little different. So I really enjoyed this now that I'm watching it back. All right, boys. So offensively, again, a slow start. Most of the game, uh, tough going for the offense. They get it going in the fourth quarter. I do want to take the last couple minutes here and talk about the defensive performance. We started with it a little bit, uh, but again, we talked about a defense that uh, really only gave up 10 points, and that is when uh, the touchdown came on an extremely short field after a turnover by the offense. Defensively, uh, the Cleveland Browns played a whale of a ball game themselves uh, up the middle, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Shelby Harris were really good in this game. Dalvin Tomlinson was a force. Uh, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa was flying everywhere, all over the field, uh, and the defensive backs were making some plays. So uh, just talk about the Browns' defense and, and uh, just what stood out to you in this game uh, against the Bears. So they played really well all around. I would just say that, uh, you know, the safeties stepped up. And that was huge, except for when Duran Harmon came in. I think he got beat for the for one play. He was in there towards the end when they had him in dime. But I didn't see. I'd have to watch, you know, watch Jake show tomorrow night. See more of if he was in there more than that one play. But um, boy, uh, Greg, as much as we gave Greg Newsome shit a couple weeks back, uh, you know, for playing like crap, he he's played a lot better, man. He played a lot better today. I thought he played a really good game today. He had a great uh, he, yeah, he he was all over the place. So, uh, good on Greg for bouncing back. And uh, sorry for cussing. My bad. The dance, sorry. the dance moves were killing me when they were down ten. By the way, they yeah. were killing me when they were down ten. Oh yeah, they don't they well, don't care. They they don't care. They don't They're care. gonna get their juice going, man. And even it. worse though was Mark Sanchez talking about the dance moves and, and then you know leading Fox to zeroing in on him every time. Like, bro, they do that every play, man. Stop, stop. Listen, he believed. Who 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 can deny him? He danced Nobody. the whole game and they won. Right. Uh, Greg Newsom, I thought, you know, I know an unpopular opinion. I thought he played well against the Rams in coverage. They asked him to do a lot in that game. Uh played really well last week, played well this week in coverage. They're bumping him in and out, Pete. They're they're basing it up. Yes, he's the outside guy in base. They're asking him to do a lot. He does a whole lot of communicating, pre-snap. Like he has he's got a lot of responsibility, so I give him credit. Having said that, he can't he can't tackle and flag. I mean, it, it's embarrassing how bad it, it almost killed them. Him and Denzel Ward oh. did not touch Tyler Scott. Shout out Jordan play. High School. Um, yeah. They didn't touch him, and like, there's a part of me that's like, I, I get they're trying to like protect the sideline, but just get the guy on the ground. Like we almost saw this last week, where Greg Newsom was so over concerned about the sideline that he almost didn't tackle, and you literally had that happen this week. So that that part was tough. Um, Zadarius Smith is over-criticized in my view. Like this was a game where he was very valuable in every oh, game yeah. he's played against a mobile quarterback. He's made a huge play in pursuit. Um, and this was another one. This time it was on a screen as opposed to the quarterback, but he's doing some really good stuff and they need him. They have to have him. Um, certainly miles Garrett continues to be phenomenal. Uh, and, and you're continuing to see different ways to do it. Uh, it's been good that we've seen more out of Dalvin Tomlinson. Thankfully, they've gotten favorable matchups. They've played some awful centers, but he's done a really good job. They've, Shelby Harris is is just a good football player. They owe him a sack. Um, Siaki Ika, he exists. I mean, he's on the ground a lot, but he's there. Um, 
there's just a lot of again, you, you throw that many players out there, you're gonna run some stuff. We saw the, the the two 12 men on the field penalties. That's that's an that's an indictment of having so many different players on the field that they they aren't sort of caught up on that. And then you had some coverage busts, but the Bears couldn't catch. I mean, I give them a ton of credit. Again, to, to, to your point, uh, the Browns gave up 14 points off turnovers in a game where they only get scored 17. But if not for the grace of terrible hands, we might be pissed off at the defense for yeah. getting blown coverages like on that Robert Tunyon ball or some or that Tyler Scott play or some of the other things that they did. So it's reminiscent, Pete, of the San Francisco situation where they had that IU catch. He comes back inside and like like ran like, doesn't touch it. It's, it was really weird. It, it looked like they quit on that particular play. Yeah. This one they at least played to the whistle. But yeah. Um so look, you give them all the credit in the world because they were that limited and they figured it out. Um I think this game really favored the Browns defense. I, you know, who knows with the Jets, but like when you look at the Houston Texans, like sneak peeking ahead of that one, you're probably a little bit more concerned based on what we've seen in this game. But hey, maybe they get some more guys back healthy. Maybe they can get back on the right track. But for what they needed to have, uh, a, a solid performance. And and the thing you sort of get left with is as much as the Bears couldn't catch the ball, there were so many players where the Browns were right there and just couldn't get it. I mean, yeah. This this almost had an eerie Roethlisberger feel to it. If if the the Bears win that game, like Justin Fields throwing that touchdown, the way he did, and some of the other plays, but with what they had, I, I like the game plan. I like what Jim Schwartz was able to do. I, I felt good about what they had, in spite of all the guys that were out. I like some of those green dog blitzes in the second half when Fields was feeling a little comfortable in the pocket. Uh, usually, those are just linebacker read blitzes. So what they'll do is, hey. If you're in man-to-man coverage and you're back and you're in the backer covering the running back, if he stays in, you got the green light once you feel like he's committed to staying in to blitz. And JOK, I think three or four times really, yes. really got after him down Sped the down the sight line, right down the middle of the face. So I thought those were nice adjustments. They were better in cover two than they have been uh for a while. I, I still think it's it cover two makes me so nervous at times, but I thought they were better in this one. But yeah, man, I mean. Uh, Miles gets 12 pressures. Not one of those pressures turns into a sack, right? So that's a little bit frustrating. But I thought collectively they got after Fields and made him uncomfortable. A couple really great plays from him. One was dropped. I think that was uh, Robert Tanyan dropped it. But there's some others that he got out of and made some nice plays, the touchdown throw. But there's never, uh, to me, there was not much of a sense of comfort from him all day. He felt uneasy. And I think uh, we'll watch it, but I, I feel like the Browns covered man coverage wise. They put themselves in some good spots, and they were uh, they were where they needed to be. A lot of it, and I even thought, uh, I, again, so tough to judge safeties on the TV view because it's like judging ghosts. You can't even see them. But I thought Hickman felt to me early here that he was in the right place at the right time on a lot of decisions that were made. So uh, we'll see. We'll watch it back. We'll dig into the numbers and peel it all away for you. And try to have a good opinion on it that's formulated by some evidence. But, I, I mean, how could you not feel encouraged? The way that they were able – I think the ten, last 10 Bears drives ended in turnover or punt, I believe. So, like, they were bottled up, man. Like, they were bottled up. So, I thought the Browns did a great job of uh, of manipulating. I th- and, they, and I thought the run defense was much better as well. I think uh, two of the backs went for one, and uh, I think – uh, if I'm if I'm wrong here, I think Herbert went for like one yard on six carries, and Foreman went for negative six on five yeah. or six carries. So 
like uh Rashawn Johnson, their rookie is their best back, in my opinion, had a decent like like seven or six for 35, but they only ran for 80 yards, and that's Justin Fields getting 30 himself. So they bottled that side of things up really well. I think they held him to 273.4 yards per play. So yeah, it's hard to be bummed about that. Four of 18 continuing their third down. Uh, success stuff here where they're just getting teams off the field. That's the, the saving grace. And it'd be crazy if you look at this defense, if they could get some of the turnover luck to go their way with how well they get teams off the field. If they could, you know, have a few more of those fumbles, you know, fields got strip sack. They recovered that, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't Double seem about the way. They, yeah. Uh, they get, they just get off the field so well that they're able to turn turnovers for them or punters punting it away. Right. So, uh, again, you can't give them enough credit, especially when it was 17-7 and you felt like your offense was not going to move the ball and they were able to do that to them. So, you know, holding them on 10 drives, nine of their last 10 drives to, to, to do that to them, only giving the only points on the board today, guys, were a one-yard drive and, uh, you know, uh, uh, a pick Beautiful. six and then the only defense driven points and the defense made it hell for them to score from the one yard line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, so then the only other points was a field goal that they scored. So it's like that defensive performance was again, that's everything you want. It's everything you want. Shout out Cam Mitchell on that shoestring tackle impact. That play. was, <laughs> that's a great, huge. Game. he played 20 huge. snaps and that play was a large drive. I think that that was the play right before the Goodwin bomb. If I recall that drive stopped, then they converted the 57 yarder. That play was massive. They had another Dude. one on a jet sweep, but they finally stopped a fly sweep. I was so happy to see them tackle somebody. Alex Wright. Alex yeah, Wright. Like, What's right? funny about that play is I, I coached against Tyler Scott, and they ran that exact concept. And for anyone who knows, Mike Hall, who's at Ohio State, went to the bad. backfield and it's grabbed decent. him basically by the shirt and just pulled him down, not unlike Alex Wright did in the exact same spot in the field for, right on, for a loss of the play. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. Alex Wright, but here's what I'll say with this. I, I like, I love uh, Okoronkwo. I like that Alex Wright is playing smarter uh, gap sound football in that play. That the thing that drives me nuts about o Oboe is, his he loves to go inside, and that's a play where they get gashed so many other weeks. Because if you're the Bears, you of course you're setting that up. You've been watching this team get killed by that concept over and over and over again. Alex Wright steps up and makes the smart football play, the right football play, and is completely rewarded for it. And the Browns defense, run defense, did. A, sorry, Brad. I'll, I'll, I'll this is quick. Like there's clear that I, I said this with you on the pregame show, Brad. That they're they're going to challenge the Browns' lateral run defense. That teams have been doing a, a variation of toss concepts, pen pull concepts on the perimeter for success. They've been getting killed, but they finally, outside of one time where Miles got cracked and they ran um, fields on a quarterback, just a quarterback outside zone, I thought they did a great job, um, you know, pinning in outside run game in a way that they haven't done. So they answered that because that's been the thing teams have been picking on them uh, with that stuff. So I just want to uh, illuminate that. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the uh, slide. Like, okay, NFL needs to come up with some kind of uh, clarification on this rule because the fake slide to Ooh. taking two more steps to get the first down is some bold yeah. crap. It's and if they're going to say that if you give yourself up and that's where they're going to spot the ball, you can't start to go into a slide and then take two more steps past the first down marker once you've tricked everybody into the fact that you're giving yourself up. If you're there calling that a penalty, if, like, if, if, you get, if you hit them and that's a penalty, then the moment they indicate 
you can you're tell going from down. their body language that they're going yes. to be sliding. They're done. They're done at that moment. So I thought that was a terrible spot, and I thought oh, horrible should have been if there was a way to. I just don't know challenge. that there was language to challenge that. Can you yep. challenge the spot at which a quarterback starts to slide? Because that is like the Kenny Pickett pit play back in college where he did the fake slide and kind of kept running off of it. Somebody's yeah. going to do that. A guy like Fields is going to do that. So I just think that's a really tough thing to just like shrug your shoulders about because quarterback protection is what everything is about in the NFL these days. And if we got guys who are going to deke that out and fake you out with that, that's not fair. That's an abuse of the, of the protection there. So I, I, I do totally understand what you're saying, Brad. And I was pretty bummed about that. A situation at the time because it was like any third and one or fourth and one the browns were tough so like getting them into those situations is not something you can just scoff at right yeah uh, uh i will finish this on the defensive side of things and then we'll get things uh, wrapped up here but i will also say miles garrett is completely justified if he wants to get another twenty five thousand yeah. oh dollars this week. i don't know what he did i don't know who he is pissed off i don't know what's going on but specifically that one play in the second half where he basically got horse collared in the backfield and it just didn't get called. Just, I don't know, how, how does Miles Garrett get a call? You you think yeah. superstars usually get calls, don't they? He gets nothing. It was abusive. Yeah. I was saying this after the, the you know, at times of the show. I think if you hear 49ers fans, they'll say Bosa gets held, Steelers fans, Watt gets held, Cowboys sure. fans, Parson gets held. Every team's fans say their guy gets held the worst. But we're we're going to protect our guy here, you know, and I think that what's going on is – I think that – and Pete, maybe you can talk about this too a little bit. The NFL has done more with uh, – Miles is a – he's an edge winner, right? His His – he can do different things, but he likes to turn the corner. And when you try to turn the corner a lot, you'll rip the inside arm through and, and tackles are getting him like hooking across his body. And in the NFL has made some of that legal. We should, we should have an, uh, like a Brandon Thorne on or our guy, Kyle Murphy and, and talk about this a little bit, but the NFL has, um, given some leeway to those situations where the tackle is getting ripped under uh, the, the, the uh, edges inside arm is up. You'll, I can get in in picture form and show you guys that way. But like, it's, it's where you're like, you'll see the arm of the tackle, like almost across their chest or body, depending on how low miles is. And they actually don't, they're not calling that holding. Um, They're, they're, they're letting those go with a very specific designation. But I mean, there are some others like the one where he gets grabbed by the Jersey from behind is pretty awful miss today. That's just going to make the rounds on social. But I think that my, my general point is the way miles wins a lot as an edge rusher and the way the NFL is calling that hook, they're not calling it as often as they used to is not going to lead to as many holdings as you might think watching it. Uh, but that's a good topic for chalk talk or a guest to, to to come on and talk about because the NFL has altered some of their belief of holding on those. And it's frustrating because with the shoulder, he's more inclined to go outside. So like it becomes its own problem that he doesn't have the full strength of that arm. Guys are just wrenching on it endlessly. So yeah. Yeah. It, it incentivizes him to go outside and incentivizes them to get sort of a predictable pass rush path and then just hook it, which is what's happening. He gets hooked. But to, to Jake's point, they aren't calling it. And they, they flat out have said, like, if your guy's doubled, that you know, that sort of takes care of itself. Well, he's double teamed, so he's not getting held. And when you're the the guy who's getting doubled more than anyone else in the league, that's a whole lot of reps where you're not getting the benefit of the doubt, whereas some of these other guys, 
I mean, occasionally, I mean, let me, let me see the play where they just decide not to block Miles Garrett as opposed to the TJ Watts uh, yeah. or, or Nick Bosa's world. I, I would love to see a few of those as opposed to just the unblocked gift sack. I see those guys get. So it's, 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 it's tough. You know, this is part of the protecting quarterbacks element. The problem is it's now putting those guys at more risk for injury. Um, and, and, you know, that could be a huge problem for some yeah. of these guys. If somebody goes down because they get essentially like horse collared and, you know, fall down in the wrong way or whatever, and they go out for the season. Now you have a, you have a whole new issue. It's like, it's like on the bear side, Montez sweat has six pressures and two and a half, three sacks. Miles has 12. That's why sacks are so hard. Cause it's driven by what the quarterback is doing so often. Right. So it's, it's just frustrating. And the, the variance of the, the type of player you're going against. Right. So let's just say Montez didn't sweat much. Oh, today. all right. I'm ending it on that. I'm ending <laughs> it on that. We're getting out of here. Uh, before we get out of here, let me just give you the rundown of the shows that you can expect here on the OBR streaming network this week, tomorrow night, 7 PM. Jake's talked about it a lot. Join him for chalk talk where he'll break down the film from this Browns victory uh, over the Chicago Bears. He'll look at all this stuff we talked about in more detail uh, to see where the Browns can maybe uh, look to exploit some things moving forward and where they need to clean some things up. Tuesday night, I'll be back for two shows. I'll be joined in the doghouse by uh, by my buddy Cecil Shorts the third coming hey. on to talk about the Houston Texans and the hey matchup now. the Browns have there. And then we'll have Garage Beers on Tuesday night at 9 p.m., Wednesday, it's OBR Weekly with Barry and Fred as they'll take your questions uh, and talk all things Browns. And then Thursday, you come back with Brad Ward on All Eyes on Cleveland, uh, and he'll have some great special guests going on there as we preview that Houston Texans game. Uh, So that's going to do it. If you're not joining us on the streaming network, get over to the OBR.com and make sure you hit subscribe there where you can read all the great stuff these guys are doing, all the great stuff Pete's doing, all the great stuff Jake, Brad, Andrew, Cody, uh, Fred, everybody, everybody with the OBR doing great stuff on the OBR.com. And uh, make sure you reach out to Philly again if you need some good stuff. If you need these some shirts good gear, are sick, by the way. Yeah, these they are great shirts. Brad, looks like you and I like talked to each other before we got dressed today. Well, yeah, that's kind of clownish, <laughs> yeah. but you we know. planned this out. We planned it out. I'm just uh, saying, uh, the stuff is nice. Stuff it's if you got a logo nice. and you want to put some stuff on it, go find Philly. Talked to Philly. Uh, and you can see it right here. GoSync.com for all of your marketing needs. All right, that's going to do it for the game day rewind. The Cleveland Browns, for their ninth win of the season, take down the Chicago Bears 20-17. to And uh, we're really, really close here uh, to seeing if these Browns can lock their way into a playoff matchup. Uh, Three games left. We will talk to you next week after the Texans game. Until then, cheers, everybody. Go Browns. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.